Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Riskologists. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Optimize and hosted by me, Andy Haslam. This season, we'll be speaking with the key decision makers who reap the benefits and gain the most value from effective risk management. We'll be exploring their perceptions, interactions, and experiences, as well as understanding what they personally have found to be the most rewarding and beneficial aspects that the discipline has to offer. We hope these conversations provoke thought and discussion amongst both risk and non-risk professionals to lift the lid on how its effective delivery can add real value to the roles of the beneficiaries. So without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, well, hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Riskologists. I'm your host, Andy Haslam, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Catherine McLaughlin. So, Catherine, welcome to Riskologists. Thank you very much. We normally ask this at the beginning of the podcast, you know, what's your podcast game like? Have you listened to these at all? Have you ever done one of these before? Uh, this is all new to me, mm. so um, I'm just exploring. <laughs> well, it's great to have you along for it anyway, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. As always, we like to kick things off with a bit of a journey to date. So, you know, how you started in your career, where it's taken you along uh, along the way, and a bit of a timeline of getting up to this point today when we're recording. So if you want to give us a bit of a rundown, that'd be great. Okay. So uh, I did mostly sciences at school and then did a law degree. You can already tell I get bored easily, can't you? <laughs> um, and then over my career, I started out in commercial. Since then, I've done program, project management, um, business, risk now i'm doing strategy mm-hmm. um i'm also an ipa reviewer so i um i get quite a lot learn quite a lot from that as well um and i guess what i would say is having that broad experience gives me the opportunity to bring together ideas from different places so uh it, it sounds a bit random but it actually worked quite well in the end yeah before we get stuck into the topic uh, a little bit more, and as this obviously is a risk management podcast, um, just briefly, what's your experience been with risk management? You did mention it just briefly then, um, but yeah, what's what's your relationship been with risk management throughout your career, and uh, you know what sort of relationship have you had with it? So um, I've been doing other things, and uh, as part of some work, uh, support and senior management, we've done some work on top-down risks and issues and opportunities, and uh, I was asked if I would be interested in being the successor for the head of risk so I thought oh, that'd be a bit different um, I expecting to get a year or so to get the hang of it um, turned into a month that was exciting um, and uh, and I decided if I was going to do that I should have a bit more sort of professional credibility so I actually did the IRM diploma all right okay. um, just to uh, and really really enjoyed all the reading and the learning mm-hmm. um, the exams were a bit of a strain. I discovered I'm quite a lot older than I was when I did the last <laughs> lot. Um, particularly when I went to this college and everybody else was about 17. And I yeah. thought, oh, this is very odd. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, but I've always liked risk management, um, crisis management. Uh, one, when I did my MBA, some of the work for my dissertation was based on disaster management and how that works. So wow. I guess there's a sort of theme there that I didn't really <laughs> see until afterwards. Yeah. Looking towards the disastrous stuff and all the exciting things that can go on. So as everyone can really tell from the topic of the episode today, we're going to be discussing strategic planning and and how well-executed risk management practices can aid in making um, the best future planning decisions for an organisation. We'd normally go into a question as to why the topic is particularly of interest to you, but I think based on your current role, it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, self-explanatory as to as to why this is uh, interesting for you. But for those listeners who are aware of your role and and what it entails, can you maybe give it a a bit of a, a brief overview of what it is that you do in, in strategic planning and strategy in general. So um, 
the main deliverable, I guess, was working with the board and the exec to develop an enterprise strategy. And as part of that, we did some work on uh, some of the sort of key areas of direction for the business. So one of the things that's common to a lot of businesses now about how you balance sustainability and carbon reduction with your core mission. And so that was one of the areas we thought quite a lot about. The other thing we did quite a lot of was thinking about what are all the different value drivers, so how do we deliver value across yeah. to different in different ways across that huge lifetime. So um, as well as the core mission, there's also what you do for local communities or um, education or technology and innovation, all these things. Mm-hmm. So understanding that sort of big picture for value is mm-hmm. really important and what's important to different stakeholders. So you said with like a longer plan there, is it in general for most people they may not realize it but how long how long are you actually looking into the future for a lot of your strategic planning uh, so we do when we were developing the strategy we were looking at a say 40 or 50 year um time scale so that was um long enough that it really challenged our thinking about what the world would be like um but still gen- you know something you can conceive Um, Once you get into some of the current climate resilience things, we're talking about 2100, and it's quite hard to imagine what the world will be like in 2100. So, um, but we do our horizon scanning over different timescales. So we do one to three years quite regularly every quarter, and then we do, we're currently doing a 10 to 20 year horizon and looking at what the world might be like there. Um, It's fascinating stuff, it really is. Like you say, to think what, you've got to try and think what the world's going to be like in you know 80 years time it's uh yeah if you look back 20 years mm-hmm. um the 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 world and how we live and how we work and the industry all everything's changed so mm. much um and some of that you probably could have foreseen um and some of it we would never have thought of yeah. so it's quite interesting reading science fiction from um the sort of period uh, the latter part of the, the 20th century yeah. because Isaac Asimov must have been a genius because mm. his predictions were amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if we could just do that, it'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> if it was that simple. So uh, this is quite a broad question, but again, uh, you know, a strategy is such a, a niche kind of specialism. And if we were to try and break down strategic planning into a few kind of key areas, what would they be? And can you give a bit of a detail, a bit of detail around each of those? Yeah. So um, it all starts from our purpose. So you need to understand why you're there and what the point is. Um, and from that you can get, um, you can work, look at how your purpose fits in, in that evolving context and to decide a, a direction. So the core point of the strategy is about setting a direction. And then from there, um, I guess key things, making sure people understand it and are aligned with it and, and um, can use it in making their day-to-day choices. And then we also look at what are the big decisions that the organisation has got to make going forward and what are the, the questions in strategy land that you need to think about in that space. So one of the things we've done quite a lot of on the last few years is energy strategy and water, um, just starting to really kick off some work on climate resilience and adaptation and what that means. But very much looking at what are the choices we'll have to make in the future and, and what, ha- what will make that easier. Um, or make them future proof mm-hmm. and I guess that's a key thing where it links back to risk management mm-hmm. and then once you've uh, once you've mapped out your direction and and things you can start making some some plans and some more detail so I guess if you think of it as a road trip you, you need to work out where you're going yeah. um, then you probably need to start thinking about well you know you're going to travel on 
Friday night in Russia, or are you going to go uh, the weekend? Who's going with you? Going to stop on, on the way, mm-hmm. you know? But it get you get to a, a greater level of granularity as you go, mm-hmm. um, and then of course as you set off down the road, there's traffic and things, and you have to correct your course accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the key thing in strategy land is, I you know, is the destination still the right one, yeah. and is there anything that changes the way you want to get there? And some of it, I guess, is about what sort of organisation you want to be and, and how you want to get there. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's fascinating stuff, really is. Um, probably going to say that a lot, I think, throughout this podcast. <laughs> but um, do you have any kind of specific processes then that you use when you're looking at strategic planning? I guess, um, so the decision calendar is obviously important. The two things from a, um, a, a big enterprise strategy point of view are very much horizon scanning and stress testing. So the big question is what is... Um, what's going to change in the world in the future that we need to think about and how are we best prepared for that. Mm. Um, so as I say, we do horizon scanning. We look at a sort of one to three year horizon each quarter and that might be things to do with labour supply or it might be um, new technologies coming in, new regulations, mm. changes in law, things like that. Um, on our 10 to 20 year horizon, we're more looking at things, um, social trends, um, changing expectations from the public so sustainability and carbon would be good examples mm. um, probably starting to think a little bit more about um, uh, some of the physical changes too so what's the climate going to be like um, what sort of other investment and infrastructure might we have in the environment um, and I guess as part of that the bigger picture geopolitical mm. thing so one of the one of the things we've come across in our climate discussions recently is how that impacts on geopolitics. Mm-hmm. Because as um, life gets harder in different parts of the world, either because of extreme um, weather events, climate events, or just because of less food and water and mm-hmm. things, then geopolitical tensions get higher and, and that changes the environment for all of us. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, we start very big and then try and filter it down to understand, well, what's the so what for us? Yeah. I think one thing that kind of comes to my head when I hear you going on about all the different aspects of things that you've got to look at and you've got to prepare for or try and prepare for is how you can you can try and make the most of, of all the noise that's there and how you can take all those little bits and how you then interwork them together, if that makes sense, because you're looking at all these different sections, but then do, do you keep them all separate or do you then do you look at them in individual bits and then try and merge them all together? Um. So there's an example, what we've been doing in stress tests is, um, is to come up with a, a simple scenario set in say 20 years time. Um, and the core of that is that something significant has changed. Mm-hmm. So it might be um, that you've had a significant problem with trying to maintain your, your resource levels. And so the one we've done more recently is about um, attrition of skills. So you bring in lots of apprentices and graduates, but um, two years later they leave and go and work somewhere else. And you end up with a, an organisation that has a huge gap between the people who've been there a long time who are all getting towards retirement and the younger people who don't stay very long. Mm-hmm. Um, so that obviously has some direct consequences, but it also has some indirect consequences because it probably creates a much more fractured workforce. It t- completely changes the way you use technology mm-hmm. and digitisation and things because the, the continuity is all in people who aren't used to that mm-hmm. or, or aren't... Um, as technology changes, they get left behind effectively. Mm. 
and that probably makes the organisation less attractive and so then it reinforces the, the risk. Mm -hmm. um, it might also change where people live, where they want to work, um, how, you, how you interact with the supply chain, there's that, that much wider context. So we tend to start from one core idea and then explore what would that mean for us, what would our stakeholders think about mm -hmm. it, um, how would that change the regulatory environment, all the different aspects. Another fascinating thing to listen to. So if we were to try and bring back in good risk management practices, um, are there any good or any main key areas that could be considered cornerstones of good strategic planning? Um, and then also to the counter that, are there any that do not really translate over into, into the world of strategy? I think the most important thing is about um, accepting uncertainty. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in strategy land, um, the thing that the, the biggest danger is to have a plan and believe it's actually going to happen. Um, or that the world will still be like this in the future. So we're, we're naturally inclined to try and picture a world that's more like what we have now. Um, so I guess the core thing from risk management for me is that willingness to be a bit more imaginative about what the world might look like and accept that the range of uncertainty is probably much greater than people believe. I guess the other thing, one of the, th the key challenges in risk management for me was about how you optimise across different risks. Mm. So there's never a perfect answer, there's no risk. Yeah. And I think one of the things we potentially do wrongly is that we sell our preferred option as if it's got no downside. Mm -hmm. And then of course the downside comes along and you have to try and go back <laughs> and explain that perhaps it wasn't perfect after all. Yeah. Um, so in strategy world, you're always trying to choose between different degrees of, of goodness and different degrees of badness and how you balance that mm -hmm. in a way that is resilient to whatever the future brings and I guess the other thing probably is about engagement with people and, and getting them interested and bought in and, and learning from lots of different people so getting that diversity of ideas and thoughts and opinions is really valuable mm -hmm. um, both internally and externally yeah but Do fundamentally it's about avoiding complacency I think yeah you're saying about getting internal and external uh, inputs to it do you and in strategy, do you tend to favour more, you know, one or the other, or is it is it even across it? Do you, do you try and keep it more in house, or do you try and seek external help with it? Is so, it an if, outside I, perspective, if I take maybe? our water strategy, we we talk to external, so uh, you know, the local network provider, um, regulator, other people who in different industries. Um, we've done quite a lot of research into the new water management frameworks and things nationally. Um, but then we've also engaged a lot with the, the engineers and people who look after the assets, the people who try and operate them, the, the people who are going to use the going forward. So we've got that sort of broad base. Um, and we started that process by saying, right, well, we'll have a risk workshop and we'll start from the risks, um, both threats and opportunities, mm -hmm. and we'll use them to inform what we do with the strategy going forward. Mm. So one of, the, one of the risks potentially is that currently we've got a water supply it's plenty we're, you know we're gradually reducing how much we're using it's all good <laughs> but if you look forward 20 30 40 years globally there's that's one of the big risks that there'll be less water available and um, it's unreasonable probably to assume that everybody else will have less water but we'll be fine <laughs> so we're almost trying to challenge that assumption that um, water is just something that's always there <laughs> um, and and ask ourselves a question well you know, in 10 years' time, if we said, uh, well, we use it like this, would other people think that was wasteful or inappropriate? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, treat it more like natural capital. Mm -hmm. um, but so a lot of it, I think, is just about bringing all the different ideas together and actually challenging people's 
thinking and testing the assumptions mm -hmm. and then working out well actually how important is this and, and how much investment how quickly would you put into it mm. can you think of any times or had any experiences where you you found you know poor risk management has, has hindered you and the organization and um, in making the most of your strategic planning I think probably the biggest thing, as I said, is that people really believe their plan. So you write a plan, you, and it's almost as if you believe the plan creates the future. Mm -hmm. um, the, the risk, I think, is that firstly you limit your own thinking, but also you start sell, selling people a story um, which might not come true, mm -hmm. and then you have to backtrack later. Um, I think the other thing is it's really hard to get across how complex and uncertain the world is. So we've had a lot of conversations recently about the fact that you know it's a complex adaptive system, change isn't linear, um, and getting that across to people who don't think in that way is really hard. Mm -hmm. um, and of course you have all the usual biases. We all think about um, things that approximate the hindsight, you know, yeah. the same sort of biases that risk managers struggle with all the time. Yeah. Okay, so, so based on that then, if you could go back and do something different, you know, what would be your kind of key takeaways from that? I think when we developed our strategy, we were really focused on what was new and different. And so we talked a lot about the things that, um, the sustainability and the carbon and the um, things that were different. Mm -hmm. um, if I did it again now, I'd put a lot more effort into ensuring we reinforce the core as well and some of the sort of fundamental assumptions uh, because, um, when we then communicate it to people, there's a danger that it's all about the new and you lose the, the continuity. Mm. So I think I'd just change the balance a little bit to do some of that reinforcement and then build on that. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for that, Catherine. Um, I find this area of, of expertise to be very fascinating. Obviously, I've said fascinating a bunch of times already throughout the podcast, but as I'm sure many of our listeners will, will too. If we have any, any you know, budding risk or, or project professionals listening at the moment who, who would like to maybe look at progressing into this kind of specialism, what would you say were the key attributes that they need, you know, as a person, as an individual, as a professional, um, and what risk management practices should they aim to really kind of nail down to, to best, you know, aid them in becoming a good strategic planner? I think it lends itself to the people who do the, the bigger, um, more enterprise risks. So um, you need more imagination, you need to be more comfortable with that uncertain world. Um, it's quite a long way from the more detailed project risk uh, and uh, quantitative risk. Um, although how we use data is going to be a key thing, so some of those skills are going to be really important in the mm -hmm. future. So I would say um, probably imagination. The other thing I say to people who want to join my team is that um, a lot of the time you're going to get given a blank sheet of paper and you're going to have to work out what the question is before you can answer it. Right. And. Um, I said to one lady, um, it's a bit like knitting fog, but on a sunny day. So you've <laughs> got to find some fog first, yeah. and then you've got to work out what garment you're going to make with it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you do need to be someone who's comfortable in that sort of environment. Yeah, it's a, it's a great analogy. It's, you know, it's, it makes it sound like such a, uh, such a difficult role to, to go into, and obviously why it's such a specialism and so, very, so few people do it. I think it, the other thing about it is that um, it's not discipline specific. Mm -hmm. So um, we've had chemists and engineers and uh, people law degrees and um, geographer and you know, we, it doesn't need a particular background. It just needs an ability to think in that sort of way. Mm -hmm. So um, 
people shouldn't be put off thinking that they they haven't got the right um, experience to do it. Mm-hmm. What the hell? Yeah. Is it? I mean, how big is your team in in terms of everybody who's involved within strategy? So there are a lot of people involved in strategy, looking at more of the technical and the and the sort of detailed choices and underpinning of options and things. Mm. But my team looking at that big picture enterprise level is just three of us. Wow. So, so just the three of you looking so far into the future. And we do, and we change. You know, people come in and out. Um, it's a really good job for a couple of years if you just want to expand that mm-hmm. your boundaries a bit. Do you think that's better to have it as a as a short period of time for someone to be involved with it to kind of come in, do their bit, and then move out? Or you know, does it does that help breed um, you know fresh thinking and and so on? It's good that? for us to have a bit of mixture. I think um, probably having some continuity in there is good as well. Yeah. Um, but I think it's good for the people as well because. Um, if you then go off and you want to do a more senior role in whatever your discipline is, you take that thinking with you mm-hmm. and it empowers you to do your your core role better, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would strongly recommend, you know, if people, if people listening are thinking, oh, that sounds quite fun, mm-hmm. as opposed to, oh my goodness, why can't, you know, <laughs> how can you do a job where no one told you what the question is? Yeah. Um, then yeah, I, I'd recommend it as a, a development opportunity for people. And, and the more different people get involved, the better our strategy will be. Of course. We'll start to kind of wrap things up a little bit here. Um, if you were to try and give some advice and maybe a top three or top five list of you know, critical components that, that any strategic uh, manager or director needs to, to, to ensure that their business utilizes you know, to really kind of bolster their risk maturity, you know, what would they be? Um, it's a rather strained analogy, but I think one of them would be um, in real life, swans aren't either white or black. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of different shades of swan. Um, they're not just grey. There's there's probably green and pink and purple <laughs> ones that we've never even thought of. Yeah. So um, I think you do have to be really open to the fact that the, you can't predict the world mm-hmm. and you need to develop something which is resilient rather than forecast really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the whole thinking behind Futures Work is about being open to a range of possibilities rather than predicting well. Mm-hmm. But getting people to understand that when you put a scenario in front of them, it's just an it's just a scenario. It's a plausible possibility. I'm not telling you it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think just being open to all the uncertainty in the world is is a good start. Um, and then you have to not be put off because you can't get the perfect answer, but you mm-hmm. can certainly be in a better place for having thought about it. Yeah, definitely. There was one, I think in our discussions, obviously before having the podcast and everything today, there was one um, particular scenario that, that came up in conversation. I thought it was a really good, a really good story. And you know, a lot of people out there might not know about it, but it was relevant to uh, Japan and their um, nuclear power stations and things oh, over is this there. The, the stone? Yes. Yeah, so somebody told think... me this story recently. So um, there's a, a power station, I'm gonna get the name wrong, but it's something like, uh, Onagawa or something like that, further north up the coast from Fukushima where the, the uh, tsunami did all the damage. And um, the, the chief design man, whoever he was, um, when he came to look at it, he was interested in local history and culture and things. And there was a, a legend locally that there was this stone, I don't know, say 900 metres in from the coast, which was where the waters had come before. Um, and it's not historically proven, I don't think, but he'd heard this story. And so when the design uh, came forward he said well no just make it resilient to that because you know just in case um, 
and uh, and when the tsunami did happen they were able to take in people in the local community into the the power station and keep them safe and, and look after them mm. um, which was a very different scenario to to what happened at Fukushima yeah um, it's not unlike the fact that Cockcroft got so much jip for putting filters on the top of the pile chimneys, is it? And yeah. uh, he was vindicated in the end. It could have gone either way, but um, yeah. for anybody who doesn't know, that's obviously related to to Sellafield, I think it yeah. is. And, and the so when the fire at um, Windscale happened, it would have been a lot worse if it weren't for the filter galleries on the top. Yeah. But when Sir John Cockcroft wanted to put them there, everyone laughed at him. Mm-hmm. So I stick to your guns. Exactly. I think it's just linking back to the, the advice you were just giving then about you know having um basically sticking to your guns and having the opinion and, and being able to to relay that to everybody i think those two examples there are great you know signs that if people have thought about these things and they put it forward and it's been taken on board then it actually has come you know come good in the end and and worked out so yeah i really liked both of those you know uh, i particularly like the japanese example because it shows how other disciplines have something to offer <laughs> so it was it was it was local culture and stories yeah. it was history that brought that insight and I think being willing to look in other places mm. for your insights is really useful. Yeah, that's why I, I like that one so much. I think I wanted to, to try and bring it in. But um, speaking of advice, you know, regular listeners will know that towards the end of the podcast, we, we always like to ask the question of our guests. And, and that one is if, if you could give yourself one piece of advice at the start of your career that, you know, you've picked up along the way, what would that be? I think I would have a bit more belief in myself and, and stick up for myself a bit more um, when I look back on Catherine 30 years ago (laughs) she was pretty quiet and sat quietly in a corner and I think I'd be a bit more pushy if I did it again now Um, and I guess the other thing is um, you know as you go through your career people want you to decide where you're going to be and have a proper plan and work your way up through a single profession and um, looking back I'm really pleased I didn't do that Mm. and that I did move around and learn different disciplines and and, uh, and experiment a little bit so I encourage people to give it a try. No, definitely it's I think like you say earlier on it's it helps all the extra experience that you can gain from all these different places I think will help in the long run and you know for me myself I I changed into risk at you know touching 40 and you know a big career change with that and I think you know all the previous experience I've had within many different kind of areas has, has really helped not not setting yourself into being just in one discipline and, um, and not um, believing that because you haven't done it you can't do it yeah um, so you know if it sounds interesting and, and the, the core aligns with the way that you think and work then go and give it a try definitely great sound advice there Catherine I mean that brings us really towards the end of the podcast um, just obviously leads me to, to say a really big thank you for you to, to being involved with it uh, in the run up and the build up to today um, and obviously everything that you've imparted knowledge wise and, and experience wise with everybody if anybody has any of the people listening have got any questions uh, re- regarding the podcast and what we've discussed today um, and they want to reach out and contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, happy to receive emails. And if people have got ideas about what the future looks like, then mm-hmm. please share them. Excellent. Well, we'll put, your, uh, put your contact email in the, uh, in the podcast descriptions. Excellent. But uh, yep, thanks everyone for listening and uh, keep, uh, keep an eye out for the next episode coming soon. Well, that's it for this week. If you've enjoyed this episode of Riskologists, please make sure to follow Optimize on our social media platforms where you can subscribe to this podcast, be notified of the latest releases and help us broaden our reach to the wider risk community. You can also find the full back catalogue from season one, where we've interviewed some of the discipline's most renowned thought leaders around the industry's most pressing topics. If you'd like to get in touch, either as a future guest or with any subject suggestions you'd like to hear covered, 
please contact us using the address in the podcast notes below. And please join us next time where we'll be hearing the thoughts of another key decision maker and their experiences with risk management. Until then, thanks for listening and take care.